Welcome to the sermon podcast for Restoration Nazarene Church, where we encourage you to be the gospel today so that you can share the gospel tomorrow. All right. Good morning. I hope you guys are all wonderful. It's a lot of stuff going on, right? A lot of health and travel and all of those things. So before we dive into scripture this morning, can we pray for just life in general? Uh, Many of you have shared stuff this week and shared stuff this morning that there's health stuff going on and there's just a lot of uncertainty, right? So let's pray before uh, we read through the scripture this morning. Father, we can never come to you enough with our prayers, Father. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of health and a lot of family members that have health issues. And Father, we just pray an anointing on them that you would provide answers or guidance or comfort for them and their families, Father, and all of the things that are going on in life, Father. For these next few moments, Father, be with us as we dive into scripture and we see what you have to show us this morning, Father. We love you. We thank you for the work your son did on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. So we spent the last couple weeks, couple weeks, it's been more than a couple weeks, going through Revelation, right? The book that admittedly I am super afraid of, and I didn't want to go through this, and I didn't want to preach through this, and then... Pastor Cody asked me if I would do the end. So I got to bring it home. I got to land the plane, dock the ship, any version of what you want to call that. But before we go through that, we got a couple of things we got to remember that we've gone through and we've talked about what the beast is and we've talked about what all the numbers mean. And we've gone through all of these cycles that go back and go back and go back. And so as we think through the cycles, remember all of those things as we go through today that we're coming up through the last circle of that first image of the cycles we saw a few weeks ago. Because we're going to walk through scripture and it's going to seem like some of this stuff is like this happened and then this happened and this happened. Today we're going to go through it the way it's written in scripture. But I want you to think of it in this big cycle that we're going to start here where we left off last week. And we're going to end with this awesome thing we're going to get to. Also remember when we walk through this that we've gone through this thing where God's counting to three, right? And so we're at two and a half, two and three quarters two and seven eighths, and then we might get to three at some point today, but keep that in mind when we think through this, because today we're in the final countdown. (laughs) In our scripture, we keep seeing this horse that's white with a rider, and we're introduced to this horse again, and if you want to follow along, we're going to pick up where we left off in Revelation chapter 19, and we're going to go all the way through the end. We're going to start in verse 11, where we see the horse on the rider, horse on the rider on the horse again. We're going to have a wonderful time this morning. We are going to cover a lot of stuff, but there's some awesome, awesome things God has to say to us at the end. Uh, Chapter 19 and verse 11, I saw heaven standing open and there before, and there before I was a, before I was a white horse. I'm going to read it up here. I saw heaven standing open, and there before was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. 
With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So it is super amazing. There's all of these forces going on and all of this stuff going on and judgment is coming. And we know that at some point the beasts and all the false prophets who have infiltrated the world will be punished. But then we see Christ on his triumphant entry coming in. The white horse with the rider dressed in white, pure and clean. And it's just super awesome when you think about how awesome this is that at some point it's going to happen but the important thing that we need to see here is when Christ comes, he has written on him a king of kings and lord of lords because Christ has the power and the authority of God. Some of the rest of this passage and some of the stuff that we see, a lot of people will overlook because there's all this gruesome stuff, right? When we think of Revelation, I admittedly, I think it's just destruction. It's the end of the world and it's gone. And we learned about birds coming to feast on flesh, and it's just super gross, right? Like, I have solar panels, and there are birds around my house all the time, and they're just nasty. So then when I read this, we often overlook the thing, like, Christ just arrived. But then right after this passage, there's these birds that are getting ready to come and feast on this flesh. But what we're going to see here in this epic battle that we're getting ready to walk all the way through to the end is the two groups of people that Pastor Cody talked about. Those that have followed their idols and the beast that has taken over their life and the things of the world, and those that have chosen Christ and in eternity with him. The section of our scripture is the grand entrance of Jesus and the destruction of all those idols and deceptive opposition to God because we know that one of the things that happens is when we become a Christian, Satan's number one goal is to make us as ineffective as possible in being and sharing the gospel. Through all of those things that we used to like, right? Through alcohol and being quick to get angry and wishing my son sometimes would just flush the toilet, but all of those things, like they take our attention away from Christ. But there's hope that we're going to get to in a couple of minutes. Christ comes at the end of all the plagues, and he also comes for this battle. And as we go through all of this stuff, keep in mind the cycle. Because when we think about the cycle, and we're going to go through this, we saw Christ arrive, and we're talking about the saints and those that are in battle with Christ. But something else that we overlook, we think in this great battle that there's going to be this major uprising and there's going to be all these weapons and all of this stuff. And we've had discussions about, do you think that this great epic battle at the end is the whole reason that the winged creatures could be supersonic aircraft or that some of the horses could be tanks and that sometimes we think that John is describing World War III, right? I've heard that. I believe that for a long time. We've probably seen some movies that express that. 
But in John's vision of this great war, there is only one weapon in Scripture. It's the sword from the mouth of Christ that is the power of the Scripture and the power of God. And that Christ arriving on the battlefield to come and do all of the things that God has talked about is Christ putting God's word into action and proclaiming it one more time. Picking up in chapter 20, verse 1, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. Verse 4, I saw thrones on which seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and not received the mark on their forehead or on their hand. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. There's a lot of stuff going on in that section of passage that the first resurrection, if you will, all of the people who have known Christ and have known Christ their whole life will reign with him. But the important thing to note is it's not where and it's not how and it's not what's going on, but that Christ reigns and we reign with him in the first resurrection. And then something else, Christ is talking about people who were beheaded. And remember, when we talked about it at the beginning of this, you either take it all literally or you take it all as a vision. So Christ is, Christ, John, when he's writing, is not necessarily saying that we are beheaded for our faith, but that our faith in Christ is strong enough to take us to the fact that it could happen. Right? That's gruesome, right? You sit and think, like, is my faith strong enough that I would die for what I believe? I can say yes. But John is telling us that that's part of the process. We need to think through and we need to be committed to our faith in our Christ that at some point that could be possible, that we could take on death for that. The resurrection is offered in two phases. First, those who have remained faithful and served until death, until the end, and do not face final judgment. And the second resurrection is for all the people of the earth who are left because God is now at two and 99 100s and he's about to say three. And all of those who have not accepted Christ have one more opportunity to say they'll follow Christ or face judgment. And we pick up in the judgment of Satan, and I think this is 27, all right. Chapter 20, verse 7, then a thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and gather them for battle in number, they are like the sand of the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loved. But the fire came down from heaven and devoured them, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will torment day and night forever and ever. 
fulfilling the prophecy of Ezekiel that Satan would have a worldwide call to arms of those who still won't repent and turn to God, built up to try to defeat God one final time and was thrown into the fiery lake once and for all, followed by the final judgment. Verse 11, I saw on a great throne and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was not, there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the fiery, into the fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So here we are. We're at the end of the final countdown, and God has said three. All right, you're going either to eternity with Christ, or you're going to go to an eternal timeout that is going to be the worst timeout you could ever imagine. The book of life is opened up. And you go through, and this is the point where Christ knows who you are or Christ doesn't know who you are. And again, we are at the point where it's not a where or a how or a what. It's do you know Christ and does Christ know you? Or have you chosen not to repent and get thrown into the lake of fire? We're going to pause for a moment. Let's address the other book, the book of the works that we have done it's not, as we talk about all the time, our life and faith in Christ is not about the works that we do, but that a life with Christ compels us to do these things. And the things that we do for Christ are just extra, right? It's like going to get a Mountain Dew out of the vending machine and you push the button and two fall out, right? It's super awesome. You're like, this is great. I've got the one Mountain Dew and then I've got another one. And that's super exciting for me because I love Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew is like what people should drink for water. But... We're in this awesome spot where when we accept Christ and we've experienced this, right, through like water day and beanbag day and going through and doing those things, when we have a relationship with Christ, we are compelled to do more. And that's what the other book is. It's the works that we have done that are just extra on top of it. Something else I want to point out that is super, super important for all of the things that we're about to talk about as we move on. Judgment in Revelation is the result of human freedom. Judgment is the result of human freedom. God does not override our self-determination, but allows us to either choose to enter the city that we're going to read about in a moment, or choose to spend eternity in the fiery lake. But that is our choice. God gave us choice at the beginning of creation, and he still gives you the choice at the end that you can choose to be with him or choose not to. Chapter 1 begins to, chapter 1, chapter 21 begins to show us our faith of the new heaven and the new earth. Starting in verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear of their eye from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things had passed away. So we're getting ready to see, 
I'm going to try not to get emotional and cry because this is like the whole reason we have accepted Christ as our Savior is to spend eternity with God. Did you catch the important part about all of that is, look, God's dwelling place is among the people. Pastor Cody shared a little bit about that at Life Group, so if you ever want foreshadowing into what the sermon's going to be about, you should come to Life Group. I'm kidding, it doesn't always happen that way, but you should still come to Life Group. But that kind of sparked something inside me. I was like, you know what? That's what's different. When we go through and we read all of Scripture, we go through all of this stuff from Moses at the beginning, we had the Ark of the Covenant, and we had the temples, and all of this time there had to be this special place where special assigned people had to go talk to God and had to do all of this stuff. You had to burn things, and you shouldn't burn other things, and we had all of these things. And then we come to the end that after all of those who have chosen to tell God to take a hike have been burned in the fiery lake, the rest of us who have chosen to repent and have chosen Christ get to be with God. Right? We could say amen like for the rest of the day and go home, and it would be awesome. We could just go be done. But there's so many other things that are awesome, and I think when John's writing as he talks about what the new heaven and the new earth look like, I just don't think John has enough words because what he describes is amazing, but I just hope that it's just so many more things. But the important thing of all of that is it is with God. Let me make sure I get this right. Chapter 22 Or is it 21 verse 5? 5, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children But, what happens when you see but? There's a consequence, right? But, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So this is again another warning from John that you can choose to follow the idols and all of the things that oppose God and that take you away from a life in Christ, or you can choose to repent and accept Christ and be in eternity with God. With promises of no more night, no more pain, no more suffering, and the eternal relationship with God. And then my favorite part of all of this, Eden restored, because we get to see, we remember the Garden of Eden at the beginning in creation was this perfect, awesome place, and then Eden is restored in chapter 22. Then an angel showed me the river of, water, of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of, the, of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. 
There will be no more night. There will not be any need for a light of a lamp or a light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Right? The message of Revelation from chapter 1 all the way to the end of chapter 22, when John writes the word amen, is about this amazing relationship we have with Christ, and that through all of the chaos and all of the uncertainty and all of the pain, there's God. And that while we're here, for whatever our time frame here is physically on earth, we know that there's hope at the end, because there is an end, right? At some point, God's going to get to three, and there will either be an end to the suffering and the pain, or there's going to be an eternal timeout that I just don't have words to describe how horrible this would be. But at the end is God, right? We've talked about this over and over again, that all of the different things that we see in Revelation are not just pointing, they're not pointing to the destruction, they're not pointing to the fiery lake, they're pointing as encouragements to repent and to see who God is and to see what God can do in your life. Because we think, well, that's great, but like now what? What do we do with all of this stuff? Like, okay, I know that maybe, you know, the beast and all of this stuff is, is things that I choose to, to follow or that there will be this destruction, but what does that look like today? What does that look like right now? Friends, can I tell you there's hope? That Re Revelation talks about the end and talks about what happens when Christ finally comes back. Do you know you can access that now? From the work on the cross that Christ did, we have this access today. We call it holiness. We call it sanctification. But you can go through the work of seeking after God and seeking God's face because God wants your all now. Not at the end, not when God's at two and a half or two and three quarters and two and seven and eights. He wants it now. The culmination of all the chaos in life and the uncertainty and all of the pain and all of the trouble and all of those physical issues that we have will be wiped away. But God wants our heart now. The rest of that is worship is essential. Worship of God is essential. We can't just say, Christ, I accept you as my Savior. It's Sunday, but tomorrow is a whole different day. Right? We had talked about what the other book is for. When we accept Christ, we're compelled to do all of those other things. Right? We know that the world wants to make us as ineffective as possible as believers. But worshiping God is not just here on Sunday mornings. It's not just worshiping and singing songs with Amy. It's not just listening to Pastor Jeff and Pastor Cody talk. It's what you do on Monday. It's how you interact with your kids. It's how you interact with your coworkers. It's you being a light to the rest of the world so that they can know Christ, so that when God gets to three, they can also be in eternity. Worship is what identifies us as the saints. If you look back at the beginning at Christ's entry into this epic battle, Christ does the work. The saints are just there. Did you catch that when we read it the first time? Through all of this stuff, Christ does the work. Christ has the sword. He has the power and the authority of God. And we are just there to worship. 
That's what identifies us as saints. Through all of Revelation and through all of Scripture, may they know who you are by the works that you do. You believe in Christ, but they won't know who Christ is until you tell them. Remember, I don't have my Bible. Remember I said a, a couple of months ago, there's nothing in the Bible that tells somebody that doesn't know Christ to go to church. That's why we ask you to be and share the gospel, because they need you to be and share the gospel, to see Christ in you, so they can go and experience Christ. And at the end of all of this, because we all have experienced some form of trauma or pain or uncertainty or chaos or whatever it is, there is hope. And the hope is Jesus Christ. That it doesn't matter where heaven is. It doesn't matter where eternity is. It doesn't matter that Eden's restored. At the end of all of this, it is Jesus, right? That we can have all of these arguments like, when is God going to come back? Cody and I had a conversation about time travel a couple of days ago. It doesn't matter because Jesus is the answer. I don't care if eternity is forever at Walmart. I'm not a fan of Walmart, by the way. But if that's where Jesus is going to be, I just want to be there, right? It doesn't matter. Like, if it's in heaven and we're, like, bouncing from galaxy to galaxy, cool, Jesus, like, whatever. If it's here and we still get to go four-wheeling and we get to go camping and, you know, there's still swimming pools, awesome. It's still Jesus. It doesn't matter. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he included us. At some point, that relationship became broken. And the entire rest of the book is so that Jesus could do the work on the cross and we could be made at one with him, right? We call that atonement. That's one of the processes and it's one of our big church words. The whole point of the end of this book is so that if you know Jesus, your relationship is right with God. That when Eden is restored and God says, three, you know who Christ is and you get to spend eternity wherever it is. And that's all that matters, right? All of Revelation comes down to this, in my opinion. This is the Jeff Living translation. You know Jesus or you don't. And God's going to ask you the same question. So that's where we're at today. We've gone through all 22 chapters of Revelation. We've identified the beast. We've identified the world and our idols. And the other side of that is, do you know Christ? Or do you know what the world has? Those are all those important random things that we come up with. So I'm going to give you an opportunity because the Holy Spirit works in real time. I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to make you close your eyes. And some of you guys are going to be at this point where you're going to be like, you know, I know who Christ is, but I've not really had that compelling action to go and do something. Or you don't know who Christ is at all. If you don't know who Christ is at all, I'm going to give you that opportunity today. We're going to pray, and you can pray with me. You can pray in your head. If you really, really feel the need to, you can come up here and kneel at the cross, and nobody will say a word because moments like this are where business is done to meet Jesus. Amen? Because nothing is going to be more important than whether or not you know who Christ is. So when God says three, into the lake or into eternity... You go into eternity, amen? Pray with me. Father, we know that we are sinners and that we fall horribly short of the line of what it means to be a Christ follower. 
But we know that through the work on the cross, through your son, Jesus Christ, we are forgiven, we are justified, and we have direct access to you, Father. I want that access, Father. And I accept your son as my savior. Father, some of us, we've known who Jesus is our whole life. We've gone to church our whole life, and life has just been okay. But we've never had that compelling, I need to be the gospel, or I need to share the gospel. I don't know what that looks like, Father. Show us, Father, what that looks like. Show us what it means to be a good coworker. Show us what it needs, means to be a better parent, a better friend, a better sibling. And even better kids. Father, we come to church and we learn about you because you have sought after us. And through all of the pain and all of the uncertainty, it is Jesus. Because Jesus sends darkness away. And Jesus is the light. And that when we get to heaven, Father, whatever that looks like, whether it's at Walmart or here or at a pool, it doesn't matter. We know that Jesus is the answer and that after eternity, Father, after, in eternity, Father, we are with you. And where doesn't matter. Father, give us peace and guidance and comfort as we try to navigate what this looks like for us because this is deep and this is important. But Father, we know you love us. We know you sent your son for us, Father. And just be with us in these next few moments as we wrestle through what that looks like, Father, as we sing and we praise you and maybe spend some moments in prayer trying to figure out what that looks like, Father. Thanks for joining us today. We would love to continue the conversation and connect with you. Comment, like, subscribe, follow us on the socials at rnaschurch or our website, rnaz.church.